Hello, hello, and welcome to Megan's Podcast. I'm your host, Megan Collins. I'm a cultural anthropologist specializing in trend forecasting, digital behavior, and youth research. This is my podcast where I share what's cool right now and why with the side of existentialism and anti-capitalism. This week on the podcast, 2024 so far, reacting to lineups and nominations, and the boys are fighting. Stay tuned. Before we get into all of that, I like to do a little mini check-in on where I'm at, my state of mind, what I've been up to. I've been in my feelings for a few weeks coming out of them, but I have not been diligent about the podcast, which is funny because I was like, this year is going to be the year where I podcast every week and then immediately did not. But I feel like that's how New Year's resolutions go. You very often don't actually follow through on them and quit pretty early on. The question is, do you persevere when you fail? Because you will fail. And so this is me persevering. Clap, clap. She's so brave. So what I've actually been up to, I went skiing last weekend. I got into skiing a few years ago. And by got into skiing, I mean, I've been a total of three times in my life, but I fucking love it so much. I'm not good at it by any means. Stick to the greens. Me and my friend tried to do a blue this time. And we were like, yeah, no, we have to take these skis off and walk down. Lost with no I still love it. I love everything about it. I don't really, I'm not super outdoorsy. I, I like to say I'm outside Z because I love being outside, like, you know, on a paved patio um, next to a pool, maybe at the beach on a nice, on a nice, well, well-kept hike. I love being outside in the sun. I love going for walks around my neighborhood and looking at all the lawns and gardens. I love to go to a botanical garden. Do I like to be in the rugged outdoors facing the elements? No, absolutely not. But for some reason, I just love skiing. It was snowing. We snowed in fresh powder for the first time, which some woman who we were talking to on a chairlift said was quote unquote divine. I think I must have, I definitely was rich in a past life. We've talked about this before and I must have fucking loved skiing in a past life because I just get so happy. I'm smiling from ear to ear. There are a few things in my life life that I just click with this much without being good at them and skiing is one of them. So as I work on my perfectionism, I feel like skiing is a super fun, low stakes way to do that. And it's not low stakes because of anything other than I don't actually care. It's actually very high stakes. It can be very dangerous and it's kind of expensive, but it's so fun. And if you have the opportunity to try going skiing, definitely do it. Highly recommend doing a lesson. It makes it so much easier and more approachable. Don't do it with your boyfriend. You will cry. They may cry. And then immediately after getting back from skiing, there was stress at work because the company I work for had a round of layoffs and it was it's just weird. I'm not going to go into the details. It was just really stressful <laughs> to just have to be confronted with the reality that you might not have a job because that's stressful. But then also I do really like my job. And so it was kind of like, you know, being confronted with the fact that I might not have it. I just feel grateful that I do. And I'm also kind of annoyed because I know that that's part of why they're doing layoffs to make the rest of us who didn't get laid off feel grateful for our jobs. But I'm also grateful year round. So I didn't really need to feel like I was going to lose it, you know, to appreciate it. However, I did have a moment where I was like, I could get fired. And (laughs) so I was like thinking about my job and I like it and I like my life and I don't want it to change, even though sometimes you don't get that choice. But I 
you know, was prepared for it. And I was really proud because I didn't catastrophize. I wasn't like, normally I would beat myself up and be like, they're definitely going to fire you because you did X, Y, Z. And I was like, no, I've definitely worked super hard, done everything I can. And if I get fired, it's not because of anything that I, if if I get laid off, it's not because of anything I did. So I feel like I'm at a good place with work. And I think that that's something to be grateful for. And so I tried to focus on that when I'm sending emails that I feel like don't matter or, you know, doing a tedious task to serve a larger goal. I think I like this little life. And finding that balance between caring about your job, loving your job, and not tying all of your self-worth up in your job, I think is super important. And then the last thing for my personal updates, I just wanted to say thank you for everybody who reached out and um, gave me really good feedback on the predictions episode. I got a lot of nice messages and DMs and had a lot of fun conversations about the things that we're already doing and all the cool people I know are already doing that I predicted will become even cooler this year. And I just think it's really cool. This little group of forward thinking people I have who listen to this podcast and like actually get where I'm coming from and don't say you're crazy, but are actually like, no, I was just thinking the same thing has been so fun for me and so fulfilling. And I'm excited to continue that into 2024. So thank you for listening and stay tuned while I take you through the topics of like the last media cycle, I guess, since we're off schedule a little bit, but we'll catch up. It'll be fine. This will become a regular thing that I get good at eventually. All right, what's up this week? First up, I wanted to talk about kind of like the big, huge macro universe context. Pluto has moved into Aquarius. So if you're not super into astrology, trigger warning, we're about to talk about it. Skip ahead if you don't want to listen, but I'm going to be kind of super factual about it all. Defeats, proof, timeline screenshots and essentially what you need to know is that basically astrology is where the planets are in the sky at any given moment and then you can map that onto what's happening with history with people with the vibes and the energies and we can draw some patterns and pluto because it's so far outside and the solar system it takes a really long time for pluto to move where it's at in the zodiac wheel so that means that pluto is a planet that doesn't really change the sign that it's in it's a generational sign so a lot of millennials for example are the pluto and scorpio generation and Pluto has been in Capricorn for a while now, and it's moving into Aquarius. And this is kind of like a big deal. So Pluto Aquarius, huge shift, the age of Aquarius, all of that stuff. I am not an astrologer, so go look up actual astrology if you want to know like exactly what this means on kind of a more granular level. But big picture, it means that we can look forward to a lot of changes in technology and industry and a lot of shakeups. And I already see this happening in my job and just like my life in general. And I think it is going to be strange, uncomfortable and weird, new uncharted territory, but I'm also excited about it. So that's all started and it literally took place on January 20th. And then that Monday there were layoffs at my job. So for me, I know that a lot of people don't believe in astrology, say it's not real, but correlation may not prove causation, but you you'd be a fool to ignore correlations and there's clearly one happening here. Some other stuff that's happened in culture since we last talked, 
the Coachella lineup dropped. I was looking forward to this all year. I really wanted it to be Taylor. I was so excited to have a Taychella. I was manifesting it. I was talking it into existence and it did not happen. We got Lana, Doja Cat, and Tyler, the creator, which I think makes sense, but to me is not super compelling. I don't think I'll be going to Coachella this year. I'm just not feeling the vibe and it's kind of a big undertaking to, you know, go be in the desert for three days, take a few days off of work, be tired, spend all day walking around a giant field, interacting with people, maybe getting sick, a lot of close proximity, sweating, a lot of money. And then there's also my dog to consider like boarding her versus bringing her. And obviously she can't go to the literal festival. So then that's a lot of time spent alone. And it's just a lot to think about and consider that I don't know if it's worth it for the lineup that they put forth. I mean, usually I'm okay with not caring a lot about the headliners, but I feel like I need to care about at least one. And I think it's really cool that Lana's headlining, but I've seen her at Coachella before and I was not blown away with the show she put on in a way that I feel like I need to be there and spend thousands of dollars to see Lana. You know, if I wanted to do that, I feel like I would go to one of her tour stops somewhere and just like splurge on a good ticket. So not super excited about the Coachella lineup. That said, if I got the opportunity to go subsidized some way, somehow, I would definitely go because I love Coachella, the brand and the experience. And it's a fun tradition for me at this point, but it's not something that I can do when my excitement's not there just because I'm not I'm not that rich, maybe one day. And then some other um, names of Coachella people that if I was going, I would be excited to see. Bleachers is gonna be there. Bleachers was my favorite Coachella concert I went to ever. That said, I haven't been super Super impressed with their recent music. Um, it kind of all sounds the same, and I don't relate to the lyrics that well, so it's just not been for me. But I loved seeing Bleachers when I went a few years ago. Sabrina Carpenter is going to be there. I really want to see Sabrina Carpenter this year, so I hope I get to do that somewhere else that's not Coachella because I think I love her album. We talked about it on this here podcast, Emails I Can't Send, and I think she's a really good performer. I love the aesthetic, the vibes, all of it. So if you are going to Coachella, check that out. Who else is going to be that the people are excited about? No Doubt is also there, but they always have like a fourth headliner now that feels like it's just like, I don't know, to cover their asses in case someone drops out slash to have someone on call slash to just like add another headliner now that tickets are getting so expensive but I don't really care I'm sure it'll be cool but I'm not a huge I'm not like a live rock music fan I like to see pop live and I like to see like big theatrical shows or like people who are really good vocalists so I've never really had that much fun at rock shows so I can't say that I would like prioritize seeing no doubt if I was there and Yeah, I haven't really looked that much at the fine print of the lineup, to be honest. I will say I'm looking forward to potentially watching the YouTube live stream for the first time. Like seriously, I've definitely watched it before, but I've never like made a concerted effort to like make a weekend of it. So I also last year, my takeaway from Coachella aesthetics wise was that Coachella is no longer kind of like the influencer fashion week that it once was in that you can't look to Coachella to predict what the fashion trends are going to be for the year because festival fashion has become a category in and of itself that it's so predictable and you will see trends incorporated but you have to kind of dig further for them so normally I would do like a Coachella forecast of like this is what the girlies are going to be wearing and these are the vibes and I make a little chart but I'm not really feeling it this year for Coachella I might do it for European vacation since that seems to be a thing but then I don't know I just am not feeling called to do that I just feel like Coachella aesthetics are what they are and they're not going to be as fun and experimental as they used to be in the past. But maybe I'm wrong and then I can do a retrospective. But I don't think I'll be doing a Coachella aesthetic prediction thing this year. I think I'm going to skip it. 
Ain't nobody got time for that. I also think that aesthetics can pop up anytime now. The most recent one is the mob wife aesthetic. I don't know if you've seen this, but it's basically fur coats, dark hair, heavy handed makeup, dramatic, dark colors, that type of thing that's trending. I don't really have a take on mob wife aesthetic, if it's good or bad, what it means. I think we're just in an era of, like I said, I made a TikTok about this forever ago of like aesthetics are the new product. And this is kind of what we're going to be selling people instead of, you know, an individual trend, you sell an aesthetic. I think that we forget in a lot of social media conversations is that the majority of people are followers. I don't have the stats ready to go, but we pretty much know that a small minority of people makes the majority of content that is seen online. And you're all familiar with the concept of the it girl who predates the internet, but people were interested in what she was doing, what she was wearing. In high school, middle school, you have the popular kids and what they tended to do and think was cool tended to be the thing that everybody did and thought was cool. All that to say is that it's just human nature to anoint a class of people as the trendsetters and capitalism only further encourages that. And this isn't a bad thing. Humans are cooperative by nature, but that means that we take our cues from each other. However, in a capitalistic, individualistic society that tells us that we all need to be main characters, we have this notion that we need to be the first one to the trend. We need to be the most popular, the best, when it's completely fine to just be a follower. So for this small group of trendsetters, this fatigue that she's talking about will just lead to them refusing to follow trends altogether and going off and creating their own. But for the majority of people, it will lead to the exact opposite where they'll just pick someone and copy literally everything they do because they don't have the desire to create an opinion or form a personal style or identity. They just prefer to copy paste someone else's and then maybe they'll make adjustments as they go. And I think like anything else that can be commodified, bought and sold under capitalism, this will just continue. Um, it's, makes for a great sorting metric. Um, if you are like, you know, I'm not feeling my style anymore. I need a refresh. Let's try clean girl. And you can log on to target.com and buy a clean girl starter pack. There you go. Which would mean that potentially we would get more and more aesthetics. Aesthetics would then become the product that these new influences are minting. The latest one is Mob Wife. I think that the key here is for consumers to not get caught up and kind of think about it as like a moment of inspiration and take from it what you would like. If you have the pieces in your closet to pull together a look that is compelling to you that you want to wear out, great. But you don't need to completely update your wardrobe with every hashtag aesthetic that comes across your For You page. But I also have seen a lot of mob wife aesthetic bashing and kind of some people coming to the same conclusion I have like pretty thoughtfully of like all of this aesthetic branding and aesthetic viral aesthetics point to white women not having a sense of identity and looking for one in the way that they dress and what they consume, which I think is super valid. And, but I also think that there's this just inherent knee-jerk reaction to anything that a lot of women are doing is stupid and dumb and we need to stop. And there was also an article recently that was 
like you don't have to document your life. Everyone needs to stop. And I'm like, why? What's so wrong with people documenting their lives? And what's so wrong with people sharing them on the internet? I think that when it becomes a compulsion, then that's a problem. And when people are only doing things to document them for other people, that's a problem. But the way that I've seen Gen Z document their life actually feels pretty organic and pretty seamless and not super disruptive to the way that they act and they don't really change their behavior for the camera the way that millennials might. So I think that journalists are projecting a little bit when they write these things. Even like Taylor Lorenz wrote a piece about the pressures that people face to um, do their end of year recaps. If you've been on social media at all this week, you've probably been barraged by 2024 recap videos. These videos are not just an outlet for reflection. They're also creating a lot of anxiety among young people who feel pressure to commodify their lives into viral content. The ideas that you should romanticize your life and be the main character and treat life like a movie are all really commonplace on TikTok already. So it's not really surprising that people are now regurgitating their memories into cinematic highlight reels. I wrote an entire article about this phenomenon and I interviewed tons of people who wanted to create recap videos but felt completely overwhelmed and they worried that the actual footage of their life didn't look enough like a movie. All of these videos feed what I'm calling the recap industrial complex where essentially every app you use, Spotify, Goodreads, Strava, incentivize you to create this highly packaged and curated recap of your consumption patterns, content, experiences, whatever for the year. Now, I'm not saying that these videos aren't fun to make or watch, but I do think it's worth examining how these platforms and apps are changing the way that we think about our lives and our experiences and our past year. And on the one hand, I see that these older millennial journalists, this is how they write. They come from a place of, can you believe it? And fear mongering. And basically the whole piece was like, the end of year trends are bad because people have anxiety that they have to post. And like, is that really the problem of the platforms or the people who do have interesting content that they want to post recapping their year? If anything, I think think that speaks to white people's inherent thinking that they have a right to comfort. That's one of the tenets of white supremacy. And like, if you feel insecure and if you're feeling anxious and like you're not as important as these people who are making their lives look aspirational on social media, I think that says more about you and how you view the world and how you view your place in the world versus where you think others should be than anything. And it's not a, it's not a mechanism of social pressure as much as it's a reflection of white people not liking where they automatically fall in the hierarchy anymore without putting in some concerted effort. So I don't know, just try harder. That's all I'm saying. If you want to be thought of as cool and interesting, you're just going to have to try a little harder to project cool, interesting persona. And social media makes that transaction very clear and apparent. I think to attack social media rather than the fact that this transaction exists in the first place is short-sighted. But again, I'm a little bit of a shill for social media. (laughs) Speaking of social media, the boys are fighting. So basically what happened is Elon... And I have very vaguely researched this. So if this is piquing your interest, I'll link an article that's an actual journalist with the facts below. But as you know, this podcast is mostly just me talking shit and adding a smart hot take. But basically, Elon was trying to get Mr. Beast to kind of move over to Twitter because he's the biggest YouTube star. So this is, you know, a go-to tactic of we want what YouTube has. Let's take their biggest star and put them on our platform. So as Elon is trying to pivot into a, the Garbage Day newsletter had an amazing quote around this that said Elon spinning the tanking of Twitter into a strategic move to compete with the likes of TikTok and YouTube, basically, which it's not what's happening. But he's saying that's what's happening. And he's trying to get into video and long form video and trying to make X a video platform. So he's gotten YouTube creator Mr. Beast to come over to X and put his content there. Mr. Beast put a little wrench in Mr. Elon's plans, though, when he posted 
said, wow, look at how much money I made posting my video on X. And he made something like $250,000. The thing is, not everybody's going to get the Mr. Beats rates on things. And so then people were basically like, oh, this is what's to be made. Like, this is the standard. And then with some digging, it became that it was not the standard and it was just some clever accounting on Elon's part to keep Mr. Beast happy to create this false sense of Twitter slash X as being the next big place where you can, you know, be a power player in the industry. And it completely backfired on him. And I've been off of X for a while. I still have an account on my work computer because, you know, research purposes. But this just shows how incompetent he is. And also, I think at the end of the day, capitalism is imperfect, not because the system is just flawed and inhumane, but because it's not actually in service of the free market, it's in service of the people who control the quote unquote free market and pretend it's free and are just the decision makers. We let Elon basically tank a platform and in its wake tank journalism as a whole. The LA Times had layoffs this week as well. They laid off a bunch of their staff, many of them belonging to the union. And this is the type of thing that would have faced a lot more backlash and outrage had these people had the platforms and the power that they once yielded when they were personalities on Twitter, which is now X and basically a shithole platform that nobody really is spending a ton of time on anymore. And I think this is just kind of what we have to look forward to in the age of Aquarius. Like our current system is crumbling. And that doesn't mean we're going to have like a dystopian Mad Max society like the billionaires would like us to believe. It means we're going to have things like Elon making an absolute fool of himself by tanking one of the 21st century's best companies and just absolutely running it into the ground and looking like a complete buffoon whilst doing it. You look so dumb right now. Okay, the last two things I wanted to mention first is Han Burner of Giggly Squad, the podcast that I absolutely love, got a Netflix special. So I'm excited for that. And this seems to be a bit of a, this seems to be a bit of a correction by Netflix. I think that the whole Matt Rife situation that we talked about a few weeks ago and how he basically attacked women and they got all of this backlash. And one of the threads of criticism there was why him? He's not even that funny. And why did Netflix think that this man was deserving of a special because there's these institutions like the Coachella lineup or an Oscar where it's like, yes, there's obviously a monetary aspect to all of this. There's winners and losers and there's rankings. But just the idea of having reached that milestone is seen as legitimizing. And so Netflix, you could argue, helped to legitimize Matt Rife and gave him a platform to be hateful and awful towards women who we're seeing are an increasingly desirable consumer base, despite what the Oscars would have you believe by not nominating Greta for Barbie. Which, did we talk about the Oscars? I don't know if we did. Because I did want to talk about the Oscars. I don't really care about the Oscars, and that's where I'm at. And I thought that this year I would care because I had seen American Fiction and Barbie. And I feel like I saw one other movie. Oh, Poor Things. And I was like, oh, okay, I've seen three movies that are definitely going to be nominated for lots of things, and I'm definitely going to want to watch this. And then when I saw the actual nominations, like, the way they're just sucking Oppenheimer's dick, I'm like, you really want to go to war. You really want World War III to happen, and it's so fucking clear that this is what these men want right now. And I'm just not interested in the award show anymore. I just don't care to watch, and I really don't care who wins. And I think that we're in an interesting place where the Oscars have this history of kind of being important, but the further they get from honoring what's actually happening 
in favor of staying in their delusional world where men matter and a three-hour movie by Christopher Nolan should be honored as the best movie of the year. As long as they think that that's what should happen, they're just out of touch with reality. And the further out of touch with reality they become, the less valuable their brand becomes over time. Sure, right now people care, you know, they are like, it's an honor to be nominated, blah, blah, blah. But you have a generation of actors right now who are growing up seeing that this shit doesn't actually matter and they're gonna stop caring the same way that like Beyonce doesn't give a shit about going to your award shows anymore you're going to have a lot more stars who just don't give a shit about these accolades because they see that they're not based on anything but politicking which i think to a certain degree is normal and human but when it comes to things like this of like barbie legitimately saved the box office industry and gets absolutely passed over for everything but then that's sending a message and i don't think it's worth all of the vitriol and like stands that white women on tiktok are taking because there's literally so much more serious stuff that's happening people are dying kim but i still think it is telling and the men who run hollywood hate women and they hate that barbie was as successful as it was and they are like no oppenheimer's still the best movie ever even though i would argue a lot of oppenheimer's success at the box office was writing barbie's coattails and in reaction to Barbie and men seeing that what was at stake here was also a narrative of a movie about a doll beating a movie about the man who invented the atomic bomb because that's also reflective of what's happening right now you have all the girlies who are like literally we do not need to go to war we just want to be over here playing aesthetic mob wife games and then you have countries who are literally trying to go to war over consumerism and don't care about the lives lost in the process it doesn't seem that deep when the academy awards Oppenheimer instead of Barbie but it normalizes that war is something that is up here and mighty and important in society and women and taking down the patriarchy that's lowbrow and not interesting and not worthy of awards but like i said the way to fight that is not to to make your little billy eilish edits on tiktok it's to like care about palestine and then the last thing is i just wanted to talk about a movie i'm excited to go see this weekend called the beekeeper it actually came out last weekend it helped me come to a realization of I love to watch movies about like a assassin with a strong sense of justice getting revenge for an innocent life loss. And that is essentially the plot of this movie, The Beekeeper. So Jason Statham of The Transporter is a beekeeper, lives on a farm next to an old woman who is played by Claire Huxtable and their besties, whatever, you know, farm besties. And then one day he goes to visit Claire Huxtable and finds her dead. And she's committed suicide because she's been scammed by one of those call centers that calls old people to scam them out of their money and so turns out that this man is not just a beekeeper he's a former assassin who went by the name the beekeeper and now they've you know upset him and he's killing up the change to get revenge for his bestie neighbor friend someone long time ago decided that a mechanism was needed to keep our nation safe a mechanism outside the chain of command outside the system it's one mission to keep the system safe Beekeepers are given all resources, empowered to act on their own judgment. For decades, they have quietly worked to keep the hive safe. That is, until now. It appears that a retired beekeeper has gone off program and is acting in what he mistakenly believes is the hive's best interest. Can somebody just pick up the phone and tell this Yahoo to stand the fuck down? That's the one thing beekeepers don't do. Stand down.
And this is essentially also the plot of The Accountant. This is basically also the plot of John Wick. I'm not a big action girl, but for some reason, you're doing it in the name of justice. I'm I'm all game. So I'm going to go see The Beekeeper this weekend. I will let you know how it is, uh, or if I chicken out and decide I actually don't want to deal with the real world and people. But that's all I have for you this week. Thank you for listening. Follow me on TikTok at Virgo Like Beyonce. And if you're interested in what I'm reading, at the Manicure Shelf on Instagram. I'll talk to you soon and hopefully in one week. Bye.